Hello, and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Pusher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. My name is Rich Caparella. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday, November 29th through Tuesday, December 4th are all Mozart. Robert Chen, the orchestra's concertmaster, will be leader and violin soloist in the program. The concert includes Eine kleine Nachtmusik, Flute Concerto No. 2 with Stefan Holskudsen, Violin Concerto No. 3, and Symphony No. 25. Here are program notes by Philip Huscher on Mozart's Flute Concerto No. 2, a work lasting about 20 minutes. A lot of nonsense has been written about Mozart's dislike of the flute and the lovely music he wrote for it anyway, all based on one parenthetical comment in a letter to his father. It seems unlikely that Mozart would have composed an opera about the flute's magical power to transform human passion, the sad will become happy, and the stony-hearted affectionate, the three ladies tell Papageno, if he himself did not believe that. Here is what Mozart actually wrote in response to his father's charge that he had lied about completing some flute music commissioned by the wealthy amateur flutist Ferdinand de Jean. You know that I become quite powerless whenever I am obliged to write for an instrument that I cannot bear. The correspondence between Mozart and Leopold documents the volatile relationship between a highly ambitious father and a son still struggling to escape his grip. And this provocative line, like many in their letters, must be taken with a grain of salt. More revealing is the music Mozart wrote for the flute, including a number of felicitous passages in the symphonies and piano concertos, the moving lines for the trial by fire in the magic flute, and the concertos and quartets written in 1778 for Dijon. It was one of Mozart's favorite musicians, Johann Baptist Wendling, the principal flute in Mannheim, who put Dijen in touch with Mozart in the first place. Mozart was friendly with the Wendlings. He often stayed at their house and ate with them when he was in Mannheim and even orchestrated one of Wendling's own flute concertos. In December 1777, Mozart wrote to his father that he had accepted a commission from Dijon to write three short, simple concertos and a couple of quartets for the flute. He was determined to complete the work in two months and made no mention of an aversion to the instrument. No doubt the promised payment of 200 gulden, a sizable sum, mitigated any inconvenience. In any event, Mozart procrastinated. On February 14th, he wrote to his father that he had only finished two concertos and three quartets, and that Dijon had sent only 96 gulden. Leopold immediately realized that Mozart had been fudging the numbers all along. He fired off a letter of accusation. Mozart indignantly replied with a series of lame excuses, including the famous swipe at the flute. Leopold knew his son well. It appears that Mozart had finished two, not three, of the quartets, and the second of the two flute concertos was, in fact, a reworking of an earlier oboe concerto composed for Giuseppe Ferlandis, the most celebrated member of a large Italian family filled with musicians, most of them oboists, who joined the Archbishop's Orchestra in Salzburg in April 1777. At the time, Mozart, 21 years old, had just started writing the first of the many concertos, both for himself and his friends, that would count among his greatest achievements. 
Only weeks after Fellendis moved to town, Mozart began to compose an oboe concerto for him, the only oboe concerto of his career. There were apparently several performances of the concerto during the next winter, and then another in 1783, and then the concerto vanished. Eventually, musicians reluctantly began to include it in the list of major pieces by Mozart that were lost. Finally, in 1920, Mozart scholar and conductor Bernhard Palmgartner, who was director of the Salzburg Mozarteum archives, discovered a package of old orchestral parts. The bass part was marked Concerto in C, Oboe Principale, followed by Mozart's name. But to his surprise, Baumgartner recognized the music as the familiar flute concerto in D major, the one flutist had long counted as the second of Mozart's two concertos. Suddenly, a 137-year-old mystery began to unravel. There are three movements in the traditional arrangement, fast, slow, fast, each distinguished not so much by design as by the kind of gift for natural, memorable melody that few composers ever possess. The first movement is headed Allegro Aperto, open Allegro, an unconventional marking that Mozart favored at the time. He used it to open the Turkish violin concerto, written in 1775, that seems to connote big-boned, generously paced, fast music. The slow movement, like many of Mozart's finest, suggests an expansive, eloquent opera aria. The orchestral accompaniment, discreet throughout the concerto, is particularly restrained here. The spotlight never strays from the flute soloist at center stage. The finale is actually a preview of an opera, still five years in the future, the abduction from the seraglio. There, in her Act II aria, Velcha Vona, Velcha Lust, Blonde sings of bliss and delight. Here, the flute is less explicit, but its message is clearly one of unbounded joy. Program notes by Philip Huscher on Mozart's Flute Concerto Number no. 2. And now on to Mozart's Symphony Number no. 25 in G minor, the performance time around 20 minutes. This is the earliest work by Mozart to have secured a place in the modern orchestral repertory. It is sometimes known as Mozart's Little G Minor Symphony, in deference to the sublime Latter Symphony in the same key, number 40. In the 19th century, it was little known and rarely performed. That changed in the following century, and with the popularity of the movie Amadeus, which uses its dramatic first movement in ways that would surely surprise the composer, this symphony has achieved a familiarity nearly equal to that of its more famous counterpart. This work was Mozart's first symphony in a minor key. He would only write one other more. G minor is a key that inspired some of Mozart's most moving music, including Pamina's poignant Ach ich Fühls from the Magic Flute and a deeply expressive string quintet that is one of the landmarks of chamber music. Its choice for this symphony was clearly suggested by Haydn's Symphony No. 39 in G minor, with which it shares a number of other similarities, including the unusual scoring for four horns. Mozart never again called for more than two horns in his symphonies. Mozart, who was not yet 18, wrote this symphony near the end of a busy year, 
He and his father had spent part of the summer of 1773 in Vienna, where Mozart dashed off many pages of relatively unimportant music and heard a number of Haydn's works. After he returned to Salzburg in September, Mozart began this G minor symphony and his first efforts in two forms that he would ultimately make entirely his own, the string quintet and the piano concerto. With this symphony in particular, Mozart made the first decisive step from Wunderkind to great composer, from entertainer to artist. Romantic myth often gets attached to works in minor keys, and much has been read into this symphony. Yet there is nothing in Mozart's life at the time to justify the exceptional nature of this music other than his readiness to probe deeper into the human heart or the experience of discovering Haydn's own G minor symphony. With this piece, we can begin to chart the ways Mozart will move away from the more strictly defined parameters of Haydn's art, even though these two great composers would continue to learn from and to influence the other. The opening of the symphony is probably the earliest music that sounds wholly Mozartian to our ears, not the charming, finely crafted, yet slightly anonymous music of the period, but something utterly individual, music that leaps from the page and lodges in our memories. The essence of the first measures, as in the latter G minor symphony, is rhythm, urgent, repeated, syncopated notes. It is instantly effective, establishing both mood and momentum. A second theme in B-flat major provides contrast as well as a glimpse of the generic musical world Mozart was quickly leaving behind. The Andante is the only movement in the symphony that does not begin with jagged octaves. Here we have a gracious dialogue between muted violins and bassoons. Mozart paints a picture of 18th century gentility, yet there is boldness in the details. The stern and somber minuet that follows is decidedly not for dancing. Its midsection trio, however, is friendly out-of-doors music for winds alone, the sort Mozart often wrote for social functions. The finale restores the tension and turbulence of the first movement. The use of four horns also lends a special sound to this music and stays in the minor mode to the bitter end. Program notes by Philip Huscher on Mozart's Symphony No. 25. My name is Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening.